0: Opening up a brewery in one of the most densely populated brewery towns in the States just before lockdowns, Flightco has had quite the journey from their opening in 2019 to their second site late last year and more. Join us as we chat with Morgan about the collaborations the brewery does, including Stripes to Bars, which assists qualified veterans the ability to earn FAA certificates and become commercial pilots. That story and more on this week's episode of Better on Draft, which you can catch live every Friday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern on Twitch and Facebook.
1: Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft.
0: welcome everybody episode 314 of the better on draft podcast my name is ken thank you so much for joining me i joining us i appreciate it there i go dan taking ownership again (laughs) Uh, we are uh, excited to have you on this friday the saint patrick's day uh, of all days which means we are going to be drinking some beer we're going to go around see what everybody is drinking starting with dan dan what do you got
2: all right so first off as usual been the norm lately i've got my own homebrew scottish export and then making another uh return because it was so damn good i've got a salted caramel brownie speedway stout for Smith.
0: perfect for myself i'm rolling with the b43 brutes new england ipa from old nation as well as i've got a partake pale Uh, I do have a bowling tournament I'm attending tomorrow, and I want to make sure that I can at least make it there um, without uh, getting too drunk. As uh, Nick has joined us, Nick, what are you drinking over there?
3: Happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. I am living the Irish spirit. I got my Guinness on hand. Perfect. And with
0: us all the way from Denver, Colorado, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us uh, what you do and what you're drinking.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, let's start out with the important things first. Uh, Morgan O'Sullivan with, and I am also drinking a Guinness. Yeah.
0: All right. It did cut out when you were introducing who you're with. So why don't you uh, try try that introduction oh. one more time?
1: Yeah, uh, Morgan O'Sullivan, Flight Coat Brewing, um, here in Denver, Colorado, and yeah, drinking a Guinness on St. Patty's Day.
0: Perfect. So, Being the the business mind, we'll say, of FlightCo, one of the things that I noticed doing a bunch of research, and before we get into the business uh, itself, is that nearly everything that is labeled as FlightCo explains that you are a family-friendly establishment. Facebook says it, your website says it, Untapped says it, and with a lot of new breweries becoming more 21 and up establishments, um, why do you think it's important for FlightCo to be a family-friendly Venue.
1: Yeah, there's uh, several reasons. I really think that the the core reason for us is that we focus a lot on, on building community and gathering um, our neighbors around us. Um, and a lot of our community are families. And so when we want to create that space for them to share experiences with each other, come in and bond over their commonalities, uh, rather than divide over their differences online. Um, families are a big part of that. And so making our space welcome to all, including those with children has been really important to us from day one.
0: Well, being a brewery, obviously you serve beer. Uh, what is in it for the kids when they show up, the, the younger, the families, the, the not of drinking age, or even folks who don't want to drink when they uh, get there? Maybe they're the designated driver.
1: Yeah, definitely. So we do have two locations here in Denver. The original tap room is kind of your traditional neighborhood tap room um, with just beers on the alcoholic side. Uh, We layered in a coffee shop for the mornings and non-alcoholic drinkers to allow the work from home crowd to kind of take over our space and, and use it as their own. And we added a food concept at the original with a little bagel sandwich shop so folks can come in and eat, drink, whether it's coffee to fuel up in the morning or they've earned that beer after enough Zoom calls Uh, so that they can continue to stay and enjoy the space. And then we got a wide variety of of little snacky options for kids, little pizza bagels and things like that. Um, Our new location, Flight Coat Tower, uh, in the former Stapleton uh, Airport location here in Denver, um, which is attached to a FAA control tower, um, has six lanes of bowling, an 18-hole miniature golf course, and a full arcade, so tons of fun for the whole family, in addition to a full bar and food program
0: you we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit because you guys took over a punch bowl social that was over there but i i want to go back to the other offerings that you have because you mentioned coffee and you just mentioned morning and work from home crowd are you guys opening super early what's what's your hours like and is the is it like coffee only or can i come up at 7 a.m and get a, a latte and a, a smoked porter
1: yeah so excellent question um Service starts at uh, both locations at 7 a.m. with coffee and beer. Um, So you can cruise in from night shift the night before and have your after work beer at 7 a.m. as soon as it's legal to serve. Um, Or you can walk in to start your work day and get a coffee or you can pour a beer into your coffee mug and pretend to drink coffee on your Zoom call.
0: We have a lot of those types of bars in the Metro Detroit area. Um, I I always refer to them as third shift bars, bars that typically open are open geared towards third shift. So they're in the Dearborn, Detroit area. Do you guys see a lot of uh, manufacturing people, third shift people? It could be nurses, anything coming in at 7 a.m. for their after shift drink? Or is it kind of just, you know, we've seen it before here and there?
1: Yeah, we've seen it before here and there. We've we've targeted a few times um, in the past. The first time that we did it was actually before we launched the coffee shop. We had the idea of doing a third shift happy hour. Um, we weren't at a stage in our evolution where we were ready to support that yet. So now that we have the morning day part operating smoothly and kind of generating enough revenue on its own, um, that's definitely something that I want to revisit. Is specifically targeting those audiences and kind of normalizing their behavior of you know their Monday morning is actually their Friday night and it's very normal to want to drink a beer on a Friday night it just so happens to be 7 a.m on Monday
0: before I pass this over to Dan what is the genesis of the uh, the name of the brewery because you guys the the aviation the tower came second so the regular brewery yeah. was not in a a uh, airport or former airport or air controller tower um, where did flight Co come from
1: yeah, we we kind of did it the opposite way, right? You get a lot of breweries that are named after the cool historic building that they, they take over initially, um, whether it's a, a firehouse or an old production plant or something like that. Um, our aviation background comes from both of my business partners, Eric and Jason. Um, they're both private pilots, grew up in that world, um, learned from their grandfathers and their fathers as well. Um, and so that's something that they're very passionate about when they met each other in college at CU Boulder in the engineering program. Um, bonded over a love of aviation. And then Eric ended up getting a a Mr. beer kit for his 21st birthday. And they made some really awful beer Um, and just being science nerds kind of continued to iterate and develop processes around how, Hey, we could, could we do an all grain batch? Could we build a temperature controlled fermentation vessel? Um, And so really just kind of approached it as a passion project and something to bond over um, that and their love of airplanes. Um, My grandfather was a pilot. A couple of my uncles are pilots. So I grew up around it, um, but never really got directly involved. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of more of the representation of the wider audience where I think planes are really cool. Um, I like going to air shows. I enjoy it. Um, but understanding how to translate some of their intense passion for the aviation industry and, and flying in general to the general public has been one of my big roles on our team. Um, and understanding that there's this underlying commonality um, where everyone has this intense emotional connection to aviation and what it brings to them in their lives, whether they're fully aware of it consciously or not. Um, if you if you have a heartbeat and you go to an air show, uh, your heart beats faster. So there is this universal truth to what aviation can bring to people. Um, and we've been able to translate that across the board and really the, the brand has grown significantly because of it.
2: All right. First, I want to say welcome. It's always nice. I'm well, these guys are in Michigan. I'm actually in Phoenix. So it's nice to have another Southwestern brewery. Come on. Um, One thing I always like to ask when we have someone from Denver, you know, with the number of breweries in Denver right now, you have over 150 just in Denver itself. Mm -hmm. And your neighbors, uh, for example, all of Arizona has about 125. L.A. has 90. If you add Orange County, it adds about 35, 40 more. Utah and New Mexico have far less than those two. Um, what do you do to stay competitive? It feels like you can't walk down the street without tripping over two or three breweries on a single block when you're walking around Denver. Um, what's Floyd doing to stand out and bring in the, the customers?
1: Yeah, man, on, on paper, uh, opening a brewery um, a year before the pandemic in the most <laughs> competitive brewery and brewery dense market in the country. Not a really smart idea. Um, it's, it's kind of mind boggling that, that any of us survive, you know, uh, us included. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that I think has happened in Denver, which is very interesting is that competition breeds excellence. So with, with so much competition, the bar is continuously raised and it's really developed a culture here that, that, you know, demands good beer and great experiential tap rooms. And just an overall aspect of Denver culture is just going walking to your local neighborhood brewery. Um, and then there's a lot of density in and, and benefit from that um, with blocks of breweries. You know, our, our Tennyson location is one of seven breweries, I think, within a about a three-quarter of a mile walk. Um, and it makes for a great walking tour, a great bar hop. We get a lot of tourism coming in. A lot of people stay in an Airbnbs and hotels nearby, specifically for beer tourism. Um, and collectively, I think we are more of a draw than we would be individually. Um, and there's just, you know, as probably with the, the beer industry in those other cities, there's an intense collaborative nature about us. Somebody opens up down the street and yeah, they're competition, um, but you also got new friends on the block. And there's somebody that you can share kegs with and share ingredients with or ask to run to the store for you. Hey, are you picking up hops today? Can you grab an extra bag for me? Um, and, and we're spoiled. Uh, the, the market is so robust here. We have access to any ingredient or piece of equipment at our fingertips. Um, I, we're, we're incredibly spoiled. There's uh Corky's homebrew here in town uh, is a homebrew shop. And I can go buy, um, with a phone call and a 15 minute drive, um, enough ingredients to brew 15 barrels of beer. And he'll have it in stock for me without me having to pre-order it. And I'm, I'm only doing that if I forgot to order through one of the big guys, um, or just, you know, missed something. Um, but we're, we're incredibly spoiled because we have all of those resources at our fingertips. We have Fox Equipment, their, their warehouse is 15 minutes from the the brewery in the opposite direction. I need a specialty part that is incredibly rare and hard to find, and they really have it on the shelf sitting behind the guy at Will Call because so many breweries come in asking for it.
2: <laughs> now, you mentioned COVID when you opened in 2019, so right before that happened, basically. Talk to us about the challenges you ran into. Um, with basically the world shutting down uh, not long after you open the doors.
1: Yeah, I, you know, fortunately, we've had a lot of uh, time to talk about this um, because it's been a wild ride. Um, you know, it's incredibly tragic what happened and, and how impacted everybody in the world was and the, the loss of life and and health and access and people being siloed. You know, it's a very traumatic experience for everyone involved and all businesses struggled. Um, but I think it was also kind of a defining moment for very a lot of businesses like ourselves, um where you were basically forced to adapt or die um and we were so early into our project we were one open exactly one year we had celebrated our one-year anniversary the week before the initial shutdown um and we were in too deep and too soon to even consider any other option to go than other than forward um so we had about one sad day (laughs) where we all hung our heads and hey man <laughs> this is where the dream is gonna die um and then we kind of showed up in an empty tap room that was closed to the public the next day and said all right what are we what are we gonna do and we instead of you know choosing death we chose to adapt and that's when we developed the concept to have the coffee shop uh to grow that early day part provide some non-alcoholic options for the community which Timed out very well because COVID brought work from home culture and remote working um, to the forefront and people get tired of working from home. So they go to a coffee shop. Um, We added a sandwich shop uh, to add a food component. We were seeing a lot of people come in our doors with food from neighboring restaurants like a lot of breweries do um, and do things. We saw we saw money escaping that we could have been capturing and we saw an experience that we weren't able to own end to end. Um, so if somebody had a problem with their pizza, uh, that they picked up and brought in, uh, a lot of times that was going to be wrapped up in their experience with us and their impressions of our business and what we were doing, whether it was a ended up online as a Google review or just caused them to not come back because their experience was less than stellar. And we, we wanted to control that and own it, own it end to end. Um, so we, we innovated, um, we tried a lot of things. Uh, we tried different service models. We tried table service. We tried QR codes. We tried, I mean, damn near everything, um, a lot of it failed, uh, thankfully, quickly and forward. Um, and we came out the other side um, probably with more experience and confidence than we would have gained with 10 years of normal operation. So in hindsight, it's probably the best thing that happened to us, uh, excluding the fact of how bad it was, obviously, for everyone. I don't want to be ignorant of that fact. Um, but it was the best possible thing that could have happened to us. And and one of the other unique instances is that a gigantic shared trauma like that really reset the starting line. Um, We had a lot of competition in our marketplace. Everybody was stratified with their own individual experience. And, you know, they were all ahead of us. We were the new kid on the block and they they knew what they were doing. They were established. They were being distributed. They had the relationships that they needed with their community and with their vendors to survive long-term. And we were just now trying to carve out that space. And all of a sudden, one day to the next, It went from these guys being miles ahead of us to all of us being equalized and at the same starting line over again. And it was up to whoever could figure it out faster was was going to survive. And that leveling of the playing field was an opportunity that I don't think has ever happened before or probably will ever happen again. Um, And rather than shy away from it and try to batten down the hatches and cut costs, uh, we decided to do the opposite. We saw opportunity everywhere we looked. We realized that if everybody's playing defense, we're going to play offense. Um, and so we invested in ourselves. We looked at expansion. Um, we had already gone all in. Uh, you can only you can't go bankrupt twice in a row. So we figured if we're all in, let's go all in again. Um, it was a fun conversation at home with our partners. But um, <laughs> so yeah, man, we 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 leaned into it really really hard. I I, I remember specifically during that time frame, always uh, consistently quoting Forrest Gump. And uh, just to try to get, because it was tough, man. It was, it was sad. It was stressful, and I just kept going. After that, shrimping was easy. <laughs>
3: <'Cause>
1: <laughs> all the it. boats, yeah. man, all the boats got sunk in the storm, man. Let's go out fishing, like <laughs> you know. <Yeah>. And <laughs> were, in, hindsight, in hindsight, I think we were correct. Then we had no fucking clue, right? Like that was just mm-hmm. what we were doing, like because we had to do something, otherwise you were going to go crazy. I. I I wish I could say that we knew what we were doing. Uh, we we didn't. We just we did the best that we could. Um, and then in hindsight, we, we made some of the smartest moves that I think we'll ever make in terms of just doubling down and reinvesting in our business and ourselves and our community.
2: Now, when it comes to what happened during COVID, I know a lot of places, I don't know if they did in, in Denver, started allowing to go sales, even if they didn't have a license to do so. Uh, it happened here in Arizona. It, are those things still taking hold in Denver as more of a permanent type of situation now? Um, yeah, I know I think, in Michigan, they're trying to do it here. We actually had uh, business owners who had the license try to fight against it and stop it, trying to hurt these businesses that didn't normally have it. So what's the what's it like? There are these COVID policies turning into permanent type of policies there?
1: Yeah, semi-permanent. I think they extended the existing um COVID guidelines, let's call them, uh, to 2025. Um, They had a measure on the ballot this past year to make that permanent. Um, It failed by a razor-thin margin, so I think they're going to try to propose it again before the the time runs out on that. Um, I definitely see both sides. I mean, we were able to sell beer to go before, during, and since, um, and we will continue to be able to regardless. Um, It was kind of fun to watch the, the Wild West unfold of People ordering 64 ounce margaritas in whatever container they could bring in. I mean, people were leaving places with milk jugs. I, I, I mean, I had I had one regular coming in during the shutdown to get to-go beer because um, you know she loved us and wanted to support us. And she was joking one day. She's like, "Man, you guys, we got I got to get like a bigger growler. This thing is, you know, I'm I'm drinking this too fast." And and I'll, and she's like, "I need like a milk jug or something." And I look at her. I go, "I'm serious. You bring a milk jug. I'll fucking fill it." <laughs> and literally the next day shows up with like a nice glass top you know milk jug from a local dairy and she thought I was joking and I filled up the spot um and so it was really dude it was it was fun to watch like like all of the regulatory body be like yeah we're just gonna put like the rules on pause and try to let you guys survive and it was dude it was it was chaos and it was really fun to watch um but yeah, no, it's it's still on the books here. It'll probably get passed before it expires. Um, we're in a unique position to where it's it's not going to particularly affect us. Um, I don't see any detriment. I don't see I'm I'm I don't see being in competition with a Mexican restaurant selling a to-go margarita. Um, we're confident in the quality of our product and our service to, you know, we're going to maintain.
2: Now, I'm... Um taking a look at your basically stalking your LinkedIn profile something caught my eye is you have a bachelor's in sociology
1: um yeah did you
2: (laughs) (laughs) did you ever anticipate while you're going to school for sociology to be uh running a brewery
1: no but I mean I didn't anticipate going to school for sociology so that kind of tracks with me (laughs) <laughs> I, uh, I went to see my advisor, uh, I think my sophomore year, I was at a liberal arts school in Oregon. It's Willamette university. And um, I went to my, see my um, uh, advisor sophomore year. And uh, she says, hey, you gotta, you gotta declare a major um, this semester. And I'm like, God, I don't know what I wanna do. I thought I was just supposed to go to school and graduate. Uh, and uh, she goes, hey, okay, what are you interested in? And I go, well, what do I have enough credits in to graduate on time? <laughs> and she said, uh, well, I mean, if you take if you take these sociology courses and you get into these ones, you might graduate on time. I go, cool, I guess I'll do sociology. Um, <laughs> it also happened to me that my, my all time favorite professor um, taught a bunch of courses there and he was the one that got me interested in it. And so I ended up just following him around and taking every class that he had to offer, which that, you know, doubled as counting towards my major. Um, no, I had no no intention. I had no idea what I was going to do with it. Uh, people ask me that a lot. They're just like, sociology, beer, huh? So uh, you wish you uh, got a degree in business? And um, no, I use my degree more than probably most sociology majors. I manage complex <laughs> social systems on a daily basis and influence crowds <laughs> of people without them realizing it.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: I, don't I love, I love
3: know how, we, how you were able to spin that. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: yeah that yeah, was probably. pretty good. Now the, now, the real question is, is that justification – for myself and the debt that i paid off or is that actually real <laughs> and exist i don't know and i don't know if i want to know i
3: asked that
1: i asked myself that question when i went to get my engineering degree so <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no and, and hey man my my cost of injury was a lot less eric has a master's uh, in aerospace engineering and Jason has a master's in chemical engineering. So
3: yeah, they're, um, a, hell of, they're a hell of a lot smarter than me because I only had my bachelor's in electricals.
1: So. They're, they're, they're smarter than me, too, but they paid a lot more to do the same thing. So yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, one final question for you before I pass it over here to Nick, um, I'm taking a look at your menu, your online menu, something that caught my eye that I used to see a lot, but you don't see anymore is you have Randall Wednesdays. Um, is this yeah. something you're still doing on a regular basis? Because most places, at least I'm familiar with, at a Randall have stopped using it altogether.
1: Yeah, you know, we were doing that pretty regularly. Um, I can't remember when we phased that out. I think we're planning on bringing it back soon. The the setup and takedown and at least at least out here, not enough people really knew what a Randall was. Um and I think at one point a little seal or something gasket broke and, and we have to reorder a part. So we're not doing it at the moment, at the moment. Um, but it's a really cool way to infuse the beer in line right before you serve it. And then we used some, we used some fresh hops that we, you know, one of our neighbors harvested from their backyard. We would do different fruit combos, spice combos. Um, it was a really, really fun program uh, for us creatively. And, you know, we have a 15 barrel system. So you, sometimes you got to play between the lines a little bit um, and not make anything too wacky. And so that was really a fun way for us to express some creativity. Um, so I hope to bring that program back, but yeah, as of right now, we're not, we're not doing Randall Wednesdays anymore.
2: It's funny. We actually um, on the show, show former hosts would bring in a coffee press and
1: we were doing something similar. Um, oh, we, a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, we yeah. Did, yeah. We did the coffee press thing too. We did a hop tasting class and we made hop tea with a variety of different hops with the little tiny French presses um, nice. so we could have people, you know, try a, try a single hop and then try, you know, co- combining them a little bit and really starting to understand where the flavors come from and and, and how different they can be based on the temperature of water that's used, the duration. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really fun to connect people to the product in that way. That was one of the m- more fun classes I remember that we had.
2: Excellent. All right, Nick, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to you.
3: All right. Um, well, it's been an interesting day at the Pagley household uh, because it's just been crazy. So I had some opportunity to kind of peruse the website for Flight Co. prior to tonight.
1: And this is a really good segue for me to say that I need to reemphasize it, updating our digital presence. There, oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so Ken already touched base
3: on it. It's And it caught my attention, the flight tower and the building... Yeah uh of the second location that just recently um within the last year or so just opened first and foremost how did you guys fall into that particular space you we, you had mentioned it was an, air, an international airport before denver international opened how did this space essentially fall into your lap a bit, basically
1: that's a really good way to describe it fall into the lap um you know, it's incredibly serendipitous story uh, that has a lot of random intersections that all led to this one final destination of us occupying an airport, um, which is fucking wild. Pardon, am I allowed to curse? Yes, you're allowed to curse, okay. yes. Okay, yeah, because that's my normal. We, 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 we do
3: have the E on Apple, on Apple iPod. Or, uh, okay.
1: Apple well, uh, podcast. I thought I iTunes. remember reading that in the, in the rules of engagement, but then I forgot. Um <laughs> yeah no it was a, a crazy evolution I'll see if I can i can say it in a succinct way because there's so many different moving pieces to this but basically how it all went down is um, late 2020 early 21 we kind of decided that we wanted to start looking for a second location um again that growth mindset double down hey everybody's reeling back it's probably a good time to go score at least. Because somebody's closed, there's some equipment left over. Like, let's let's do this thing. Let's make it happen. Um, and so we started our search late 2020, early 21. Uh, we we found a spot. It was an old Cajun restaurant that had closed early in COVID. Um, kind of out towards the Denver, new, the new Denver airport. Uh, very fast growing community, um, and had a had a full kitchen there. And so we said, hey, you know what? Let's let's try our hand at a brew pub. Um, we had gone down the route of writing out our business plan, approaching some investors to, to, to bring along with us. Um, we had signed a lease or we're about to, I think. Um, and we were pretty far along in that process. Um, and you know, scared, it was a little bit larger than our current space. It, it was going to come with a full restaurant that was complicated. We were a little nervous to approach that, but felt that it was the right decision for our growth path. Um, And then one of our uh, friends, investors um, from the original location, who happens to be in commercial real estate here in Denver um, as a developer um, and very, very close family friend of ours that we've met through this process, but have have remained close with, kind of called us out of the blue and said, hey, uh, do you guys, the control tower is for sale. Do you guys want to go take a look? And we're like, uh, you know, us? Like, you want to, you want to talk to us about a 25,000 square foot control tower entertainment venue with a literal tower attached to it. Like, uh, yeah, of course we want to go look at it, but what are we going to do with that? Um, so we went, we went and toured the space with them. Um, it had been, as, as mentioned previously, occupied by Punchbowl social. They had taken the the derelict control tower building and the offices attached that sat vacant since 96. They, started developing that project, I think in 2016. They opened their doors um, in 17. So the development probably started before that. Um, and they had spent a massive amount of money on build out, um adding square footage, adding entertainment, adding bowling bowling lanes. Um, in 2019 they added an 18 hole miniature golf course on the patio, which tells you how large the patio is because there's 18 holes of mini golf and that's not even half the patio. Um, and so like all of that was already there. It was all existing. COVID happens they leave, assuming to come back, they go through corporate bank- bankruptcy and restructuring and they never reopen that location. Um, so we walk in and it's a scene from an apocalypse movie where there's a layer of dust, there's glasses with, you know, a little bit of beer in the bottom still sitting on the counter. There's keg- full kegs in the cooler still hooked up to the taps. Um, there's, you know, something floating in the fryer because the fryer oil wasn't cleaned out before they left. It was, it was eerie. It was weird. Um, and yeah, I mean, Long story short, we toured the building. Uh, we were terrified because we knew that we couldn't say no to the opportunity. Uh, aviation-themed brewery owned by pilots. We donate 10% of our profits to the future of aviation through local and national scholarships. Like, And here's an air traffic control tower, formal internet, former international airport. You're never going to get this shot again. Um, so we already knew what the answer was going to be. We, <laughs> we went through lease negotiations and tried to vet it as best we could, tried to talk ourselves out of it as best we could, built our business plan. Um and at the end of the day um they ended up buying the building we signed the lease um uh the large part of why they bought the building is because we were willing to sign the lease um why they trusted us at that level I have no idea and I never will um we're we're, we're still real tight with them so it's you know things are going well um and uh yeah we signed the lease in uh, November of 21 and took over and got to work and we opened in August of uh, 22
3: I, I I would probably have done the similar. I guess <laughs> I'm not a business guy, but I but I guess you can't really necessarily pass up a piece of Denver. Now this is in Denver proper, is it? Mm-hmm. it you can't pass up on it. What would probably be a historic building, uh, a former international airport, probably was getting a lot of travel at the time and its heyday.
1: So yeah. Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a recognizable Denver landmark and arguably for the region, um, Stapleton International Airport. Um, you know, I mean, it, it opened in 1929 uh, mm. and was the first regional airport of its kind um, west of the Mississippi. Like it was at one point, I think top ten or even top five international airports in the world in terms of traffic. So, ton of history uh, down the street about three quarters of a mile is the United training center, which is the largest pilot training center in the world. Um, so every pilot that flies for United or recertifies for United currently they're graduating 80 to hundred pilots a week, um, out of that location. Um, and so you talk about a captive, you know, aviation focused audience that's constantly fresh wanting to come check out your location and a potential corporate partner for large events, holiday parties, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the writing was on the wall. And then in in addition to that, the the neighborhood was rapidly expanding around it. There was a lot of development plans in the immediate vicinity. And since we've taken over, um, many many of those projects are about to complete. So we have a 700 unit apartment complex opening up on the other side of our parking lot at the end of this year. Uh, There's a 300 unit going in across the street, opening up sometime um, at the end of next year. There's two 400 units going in three quarters of a mile down the street. There's another 300 unit that's opening up later this year. So our, our doors within a three quarter of a mile walk is going to increase by about, I don't know, 2000, uh, in the next year and a half. Um, and that side of Denver is a relative entertainment desert. You know, it's, it's a new community. It was established when the airport closed and really didn't start to take off, um, until the last, you know, 10 years or so. And so the only other options over there are corporate chains. And we have, you have Stanley marketplace, the, the, the former home of Stanley aviation, the, the, um, Inventors of the ejection seat, um, and you know it's a really awesome local food hall. Great vibe. Stanley Beer Hall is there. They have a killer menu. Um, and it's it's great, but that's the only other local option on that side of town. So these people, there's tons of population density. Um, they're affluent. Uh, it's a it's a it's a pretty affluent community. So they have expendable income, and they they have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do with their families. Um, And there's a giant control tower that's literally the icon of the neighborhood. The neighborhood association, their logo, is a picture of the control tower. Um, so, you know, we're walking in, we're going. You don't have to tell anybody where we are; they can find it. You know, it's not. Oh, we're around the corner from the Qdoba. You know, we're across the street from the Seven Eleven. You know, the one on the corner. No, it's like, hey man, we're at the control tower. Oh, I know where that is. Um, so, like. It, it just seemed to make sense. It was tough to make it make sense on paper because it's big, it's scary. Um, but at the end of the day, you look at that opportunity, you go, hey man, if I'm 90 and I'm on my deathbed and I'm, I'm you know playing my highlight reel, which one am I gonna regret more? Going for this thing and just running it into the crowd or am I gonna regret not taking the opportunity? Um, and so when you just distilled it down to that level, it, it, I wouldn't say it became easy, but it definitely became clear.
3: One or two more questions. I'm going to turn it back over to him. They're pretty straightforward. Uh, When it was a, you mentioned it was a, we know it's a punch. It was a punch bowl social prior to, did you guys keep any of that stuff for your customers? Uh, Yeah. Or did you just
1: completely just gut it out and make it yours? Um A little bit of both. So there is not a surface in that building that we didn't touch, whether sanding, restaining, painting, redecorating, bringing in new furniture. Um, But we had a unique opportunity of taking over a space that was fully built out to handle large volumes of people, large private events. Um, So we kept the six lanes of bowling alleys that were there. We kept uh, the 18-hole miniature golf course. We added back a bunch of arcade machines that had been there previously with, with a partnership with a local arcade vendor. Um, but then we leaned really hard into the aviation theme and background, trying to celebrate the history of the building in the neighborhood, educating people that, hey, we're, you know, your house is where a runway used to be, your, your house is where the fuel depot used to be, so don't, you know, don't drink out of the hose. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, no, we, we just, we overemphasized um, the, the history of the building. We reached out and partnered with our local air airspace museum, Wings Over the Rockies, and so now they loan us unused museum exhibits to help decorate our space. We're currently working on a project with them. They have a, a landing gear from a 727 uh, that's just massive. And we're trying to get them to help us customize the base so we can fit it through the front door and uh, place that uh, in the middle of the arcade as a, just a really cool, educational, you know, fun piece. Um, So, yeah, we we completely rebranded the building um, as our own. And I think the way that it should have been the entire time, which is celebrating the history of it, the significance of it. um, But we kept all the entertainment aspects. The floor plan stayed the same. A lot of the kitchen equipment that was there was repurposed. We brought in some new. um, And by doing it that way, um, that's how we were able to open relatively on time. And we targeted opening in June. We opened in August. That's about as good as it gets in our industry. Um, And the only way that we were able to do that is that we didn't do any construction. So it was a change of ownership, um, a little bit of a zone use change um, and a liquor license. There was no construction project, no city permit timeline. So we didn't allow ourselves to be held hostage by the bureaucracy of city permits. um, And we probably would have never been able to open had we done any construction because we wouldn't have been able to fund the gap waiting for them to respond. Wow. Unreal.
3: One last question. Turn it over to Ken. Can you get in the flight tower
1: today. Um, we can. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, it's funny. I actually have the answer to that written down on the the script at the host stand. Um, and I told them I told all our employees before we open. I, we're going to go. We're going to review this together because everybody that calls and everybody that walks in the front door or at some point during their visit, they are going to ask you, can I go up in the tower? Um, and you know, some people are excited. Uh, some people are angry if they can't, um, the, the top of the tower right now, um, the, uh, the landlord replaced the roof, uh, in, I think September, uh, of this past year. Um, and the, the goal is to, uh, eventually occupy that space. We do have some egress issues, um, to, uh, overcome, uh, the elevator shaft is still there, but our current elevator only goes up three floors. So we gotta figure out how to pay for an elevator that goes up to the ninth floor, um, which I hear is expensive. <laughs> I never bought an elevator before, so I don't <laughs> I don't know from personal experience. Um, no, it, there, there's about just shy of 2,000 square feet up there. Um, there's two subfloors and the viewing cab itself. Um, and so it's you know a little bit bigger and more usable than it would, would appear at first glance. There's already utilities up there. There's plumbing, there's electricity. Um, so the opportunity is there. Um, and right now we're, we're developing the third floor um, of our building um, and adding virtual golf simulators, ax throwing in another private event space and bar. Um, so adding about 6,500 square feet. Um, we're installing a brew house on the first floor a uh, two and a half barrel system for pilot batches and experimental brews, as well as community collaborations. Uh, once that project wraps uh, sometime in mid may, um, all eyes and attention go to the top of the tower. And I have a feeling uh, at some point we might run across uh, the correct corporate sponsor um, to be able to make that happen with some co-branding up at the top. All right. And
0: looking at the things that you guys offer, um, Based on aviation, there's something that you guys do yearly, which is uh, you have a a little event where uh, a couple of your teammates or somebody you pay are licensed pilots. They fly out to a hop farm farm over in Montrose, pick up hops, and for, as I'm told, the freshest wet hop beer a beer lover could ask for. How did this – Come about? How did? How does this start, and where are we at now? And what kind of hops are you guys using for that?
1: Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that question because that's one of our favorite projects to date. That seems to just get bigger every year. Um, so started, uh, I think the first one we did um, was in 2019. Um, and Eric, uh, my business partner, um, owns an RV10, uh, which is an experimental aircraft that him and his dad built in his garage when he was in high school. Um, which is always fun for him to share because he typically tells you that after you've taken off for your first time in the plane <laughs> um, that it was put together by a high schooler. Um, <laughs> fortunately, the guy's really smart. Um, so the plane flies great. Um, so yeah, a little, little small four seater, um, you know, great performance, great range. Um, and so it was Eric's brainchild to say, Hey, you know, we have this love of aviation. We have this love of craft beer. We now own a brewery. You know, how, how do we further blend those two passions and what better way than to go fly to get your own fresh hops? Um, there are a couple of great hop farms here in Colorado. Uh, the first time we went and did it, we flew to Payonia to Highwire Hops. Um, he's since sold and the farm and closed down. Um, and then this past year, um, we went out to Montrose to Billy Goat Farms, and I think they just won an award at um, the uh, I forget the name of the awards festival up in Yakima um, for one of the best hops in the country. I, I, if it was, I think it was Cascade um that they won which is crazy because they went up to the cascade range and from the rockies and ended up winning the the award um but yeah so it's it's grown a little bit every year we've done it as small as just one plane going to get a couple bags of hops and flying them back while eric's flying his plane to go get the hops jason's in the brew house uh starting the brew day uh we try to time it up so that as he's landing it's about a 30 minute drive from the airport um so as he's you know, rolling in with big bags of hops over his shoulder and his whole Pablo Escobar moment. Um, Jason's ready for the hops to go into the boil. Um, and, you know, we did it because we thought it would be cool and fun for us. Um, it started to gain some attention um, from the media. And so we've, we've gotten quite a bit of uh, attention for it over the last few years. Um, I think if it was last year, or the year before we did a collab uh, with five different breweries, um and i think we had four four or five planes that went that year um brought enough hop back hops back for everyone and then sent the hop, fresh hops to each different brewery who were all staging their brew day in the same kind of fashion we did and everybody made their own version and then we did a little tap mini tap takeover so each brewery had all four or five beers on at the same time um so that that was a really fun way to do that um and then this past year was was awesome we've we've grown a little bit. We've gained some more connections. Um, so we we flew over to Montrose to Billy Goat, uh, grabbed more hops this time. Um, we did our own beer. Um, and uh, I think we had seven different planes come with us. Um, friends in the industry, uh, friends of the brewery, just people that are connected with aviation. We brought a bunch of friends. We filled all the seats. And we were fortunate enough that one of our friends had access to a Pilatus PC-12, which is a um, very high performance long range, um, basically private jet. It's technically a turboprop, but uh, it's got a pressurized cabin. You don't have to wear a headset. Uh, you, your seat reclines, you have a tray table. I mean, it's, it was quite the experience walking up a full down staircase into a plane, uh, to go get hops. And I mean, the gas obviously costs more than the, <laughs> the hops are worth. Um, but that's not the point. Um, and so, yeah, man, we flew out to Montrose. Um, we had, a local gal who writes for the Denver post um, meet us at the airport and uh, help shuttle us over to the, uh, the hop farm. Um, Funny enough, all those little tiny airports usually have a courtesy car that you can just borrow. Um, So we also borrowed their, their courtesy car to go over. Um, And yeah, we descended on the hop farm, got a wonderful tour, um, watched them harvest the hops that we were going to use, um, bagged them up and flew them back. And by the time we got back, Jason was ready again for us to throw those, those hops in and make the freshest wet hop beer that you can in our region. Cause I don't think anybody else can get them there faster than we did.
0: All right. I'm going to leave you with a, uh, a way to increase uh, the social media, um, and the following for this. And I've got a great idea for you. You probably already do it. And you didn't mention it. Um, but you need to do kind of like how they do with, um, when does the, the first rain start in like a really dry city and people guess a date or a time or something like that, you need to put like, you know, all of your mug club members or all of your, your big fans, have them choose like a time of what time do you think it's going to drop into the kettle? Like the hops are going to get onto site and into the kettle and whoever gets the winning one gets a, you know, a free growler of that beer to take home when it's done.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I think some engagement there. I mean, you know, we've been fortunate enough to to make enough friends in the industry and, and people are excited about what we're doing and they kind of want to come along with to where, you know, we, we have some really cool people flying some really cool planes out there. And I think we could also, you know, ratchet it up a notch and uh, the, the winner of a contest gets to to ride with us next time we go to get hops.
0: I mean, that's, that's, you could probably get 250 people to literally watch somebody brew a beer Because there's like a clock right behind them telling you what time it is. And they're trying to figure out, you know, who's closer. Am I, you know, too close, too far. What's coming on? Um... We've got about 10 more minutes to go before we get into the final questions of the evening. Um, A little bit about the brewery that I want to know for myself. Uh, I am not an IPA drinker, as many of the fans in the industry that listen to this podcast know. Um, With that in mind, when I come to Flight Co., whether it be the Tower or the uh, original brewery, what kind of beers, what kind of variety am I going to get?
1: Yeah, I'm, you know that's a great question, and that's something that we've been working on uh, promoting since day one. Is I think that you know, unfortunately for a long time, craft beer kind of pigeonholed itself as IPA, um, and 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 until you know hazy started to take over, they we had pigeonholed ourselves as as bitter IPA, and so people associated uh, craft beer with resinous, piney, bitter. Um, and it's a polarizing flavor. You either really enjoy it or you absolutely detest it. And there's, there's not a lot of in between, um, Hazy's have helped with a, a little bit that in terms of like the gateway drug of, of hops. <laughs> Cause people like, oh man, I don't like hops. Oh, this is delicious. It tastes like passion fruit and mango. And you're like, yeah, man, that's got twice as many hops as any other beer you've ever drank. And so many that they're just in solution. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we, we've always focused on a diversity of style and offerings, uh, to make sure that we maintain the inclusive culture that we that we're, we're, we're going for and we're striving for. Um, Jason, uh, our brewer, um, is relatively traditional in his approach. Uh, we have a great, you know, traditional amber ale, a porter, a stout. We always like to have a, at least one or two kettle sours on. Um, we have a killer Mexican lager, uh, Aero Mexico. We brew that one with motica hops from New Zealand. Um, and it gives this little essence of lime uh, on the aroma and right on the finish from the actual hot profile. So it's almost as if you've already added the lime to your beer without there actually being any fruit present in the beer. Other than that, I mean, they're they're pretty broad. Um, we like to stay true. Every now and then we'll fruit a beer. Um, we have a pineapple goes on right now that's phenomenal. Uh, the salt uh, balanced with the pineapple, the, the the hint of coriander that's hidden, but Adds the layer of complexity. Um, You know, it's almost like drinking a margarita where that salt content just the moment you put that glass down, you want to pick it back up because (laughs) your mouth dried out just enough. Um, And then a couple others. um, Oh, our guava, our guava pale ale. We do a traditional American pale with citra hops. Nice, nice balance of a little bit of malty sweet, a little bit of hot bitterness. Um, And then we back sweeten with uh, about one and a half to 2%. Organic guava puree uh, by volume, um, and it's it's subtle. It's just enough for you to think that there's something there in addition to the, the the traditional ingredients, but not enough to overtake the the flavor profile of the beer. It's there to enhance it, not dominate it. Um, you know, if I want to drink fruit juice and alcohol, I, I can pour myself a screwdriver. Um, but I want to drink a well-rounded product. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna add fruit to the beer that kind of enhances uh, the natural characteristics that are underlying. And, you know, brings them forward um, rather than dominate them. Um, And so, yeah, when it comes to beer drinkers like yourself that typically don't enjoy IPAs, uh, we always have great options for you. And we know that. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've succeeded is because um, somebody can come and say, I don't like beer. And, you know, challenge accepted. My response is, unless you're allergic to the ingredients in what I'm about to try to give you, uh, you probably just haven't met the right beer yet.
0: And before we get into the final questions, there's one more thing that piqued my interest just a little bit, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about it, and that is the beer Vets and Jets. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is your guys' cream ale, um, and a portion of all sales goes to uh, a charity. Why don't you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, that's a really cool one. So um, we got connected to Stripes to Bars, um, which is a a local – charity with now a little bit more of a national reach, uh, founded by one of our neighbors in the Tennyson neighborhood there. Um, and uh, Clayton It works for the uh, Air National Guard. Um, and I always forget his title. Sorry, Clayton. Um, but he's in charge of all the mountain rescues, or the mountain rescue division of the Air National Guard. And so they fly the Black Hawk helicopters up into the Rockies to pluck people off the side of mountains that are in precarious situations. Um, and if we got time, I got a great story about that too. Um, Anyway, so he, he came in, he's a you know wonderful human being and uh, very accomplished military career. And he had started this charity to help me- military veterans transition out of military life into civilian life. And one of the avenues that they found was very successful um, was pushing them towards commercial aviation. Uh, because of the structured framework of commercial aviation and how similar it is to military life, um, they found that that transition was very smooth for a lot of veterans, um, regardless of if they have had any previous aviation training so i mean you could have been a mechanic or you could have been a marine you could have been a private or you you could have flown in the military um that transition seemed to work very well and so he saw the need and started fundraising and started a nonprofit to, to write scholarships and pathways um for those veterans um to continue on in in their civilian life uh through commercial aviation um so we thought it was a really natural plug for us um We have a couple of veterans as investors in our business and also close personal family friends. Um, And so uh, we immediately said yes to the partnership. What can we do? Well, we're a brewery, so typically when we want to support a cause, we make them a beer. And we came up with the idea of Vets and Jets because their whole goal is to put Vets in Jets. Um, (laughs) So um, we uh, we named it. We decided on a cream ale. because you know as a very light easy drinking approachable style it would be something that would be palatable to a very broad audience um that is a typically more traditional light beer um we brewed our first batch in 2019 a dollar of every pint sold in the tap room uh, went directly to that pilot scholarship um we've done that every year now with them Uh, we typically have the beer on tap the majority of the year um production timeline sometimes it goes off for a little bit and then comes back and we maintain that commitment anytime that beer is on tap and then through their organization um, they built some wonderful tools to be able to allow people to apply and then filter the the candidates through and so they end up when it comes to the the selection process um, they kind of present to us with the top three to five candidates that have made it through their their rounds of selection Um, and then we get to select a winner and award them their scholarship um, which is incredibly rewarding. Um, and funny enough, uh, we did this in 2019. Um, so our first scholarship check we wrote was in, I believe, um, April or May of 2020, <laughs> um, which was kind of a defining moment for us because the tap room was closed. We had a mobile canning line in there to try to can some of our beer and sell the liquor stores. It was, wasn't on the roadmap, but we, we had to do something. Um, so we got the canning line banging away in the background, uh, no customers in the building. We had a, you know, sad trickle of to-go beer going out the front door, uh, no employees. And, uh, there's Clayton, um, and Eric and I and Jason are sitting there writing a scholarship check, uh, in a business that we weren't confident was ever going to reopen at that point. Um, but it was a commitment that we made to a cause we believed in. And, you know, when your back's to the wall, it kind of shows you who you really are and, uh we wanted to if we were going to go down we were going to go down with integrity so we we wrote the check and called the recipient with the canning line just <laughs> hammering away I couldn't hear shit um and awarded the scholarship um and when thankfully we made it through and we've been able to do that every year since and uh yeah that's one of my favorite favorite collabs to date and one of my favorite calls to make every year is uh that scholarship call
0: perfect well let's get to the final questions before we send you on your way potentially back to the brewery to see what uh mess is going on on st patrick's day nick what's your final question
3: so you're in colorado there's home to a lot of breweries especially some rather big ones some big fish in the sea everyone's got a guilty pleasure and there's a couple guilty pleasures in colorado what's your guilty pleasure beer
1: My guilty pleasure beer, you know, honestly, um, probably Guinness um, or uh, I think I might've mentioned it right before we went live. Um, If it's, I'm not drinking a Guinness, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a a Coors Banquet. Uh, Okay. You gotta, you gotta have something crushable in the fridge. I was, I was telling these guys before you jumped on um, my neighbor, Dave uh, works at the Coors bottling plant. He's been sober for about 12 years now and uh, he gets a lot of beer to take home. Um, and so I'll get a knock on the door, uh, Hey, you you know, text message or, Hey, you know, he's, he's, he's the friendly neighbor over the fence. Like I got something for you. And he hands me a couple of cases of stubbies. And so usually my fridge is stocked with, uh, stubbies, at course, of course banquet. Nice.
0: Dan, what's your final question?
2: We got old Johnny Lawrence over there, apparently. Um, but my final question (laughs) is again, a lot of sticking with Denver, a lot of breweries. We talked about it earlier. Who's someone you want to collaborate with that you haven't yet?
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, You know, it's fun because we go to a lot of festivals together. Anybody you meet is just about as nice as the next guy. Everybody wants to work with you. Everybody wants to support you. Who would I want to collaborate with? You know, I think Odell's um, has done a really good job of growing to a point where they're incredibly recognizable. Um, but at the same time, recently, they've reinvested um, in their communities by opening up some really beautiful tap rooms in a few neighborhoods around the city and really committing to provide access and cool space. Um, they have a couple of cool food programs at those at those spots. And so as a as a company that, uh, you know, did it, they made it. They're a, a big player in the in the distribution market in terms of, you know, going from small to big, um, you know, they're no New Belgium or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but they're still they're still uh, doing their thing. They made it on the distribution side, and now they're reinvesting in tap rooms uh, for their community. So I, I think that they would be a, a really cool company to partner with and to uh, to learn from. Yeah, great brewery choice. I agree. And
0: my final question is, uh, I've been asking this for a lot of our previous guests and since you guys took over a former punch bowl social and there's plenty of uh games and things to play what is the one drinking game or game that you drink with that you think you could just um demolish your entire co-working staff with
1: ooh um so i practiced a lot of these in college um enough to say that I would be more uh, technically an expert uh, in drinking games than I would be in sociology. Um, I'd have to go with, uh, regionally, everybody describes a little differently, but quarters or chandeliers uh, where you bounce the quarter into the shot glass and race around the table. Um, If you get stuck between me and another player that knows what they're doing, I'll crush your soul. I'll make you cry and want to quit and throw up all at the same time. I have have no, I have no, I have no mercy. I will just beat people to death with that game. (laughs) There's
0: something like quarters that uh, we used to do with um, instead of a quarter, it was um, a ping pong ball into the glass Mm -hmm. and then you you slam the beer. Um, There's another one where it's like an elimination game with like cups in the middle and you're trying to um, almost like lap someone uh yep it's like a chase the ace kind of thing so uh those always yeah that, uh, um make... that's the
1: one i'm talking about with quarters and shot glasses and okay. yeah it's uh it gets out of hand you, you chase the guy in front of you and if, if you make it the first time you get to pass it anywhere if you make it the second time you got to pass it to your left if you get lapped you gotta you gotta take a drink and Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly the game that I was thinking of then, except mine was instead of quarters. It was with a a ping pong ball. Uh, I do have one suggestion I want to leave you with, too, just because I'm full of them today. Uh, But because you have such a unique opportunity in Denver, um, there's something that I don't think is out in Denver that I think you guys can add, which I think will bring in a lot of people or a lot of curiosity. You guys should add a feather pin bowling lane, which is basically like uh, bocce ball. But instead of uh, balls, you're throwing basically a thing that looks like a, a wooden piece of cheese. Um, great sport, a lot of fun. We have one, uh, a couple lanes here in Metro Detroit uh, that bring a lot of people in. I think it's like a French game or a Belgian game. Um,
2: but yeah. is that, why stop there? Ask, ask for a five-pin lane. Ooh, yeah, is it, is it Canada?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yo, you know we had a couple. Of- couple spots here, uh, doing the duck pin bowling, um, which I think is starting to pick oh. up, up a little bit, uh, oh. faster, faster, faster pace, uh, smaller, smaller footprint. I'm, I'm um, kind so of I've, upset I've
0: because I was, I was in Denver for GABF last year. And Dan, we didn't, we didn't know they had duck pin bowling over there. I thought
1: that was yeah, more of a New England up there for duck It's, it's new. I only know of two or three spots that do it. Uh, but I, I could see it gaining in popularity just because of the smaller footprint, the faster pace of play. It's, you don't have to wear the shoes. Uh, you know, It's could be cool. Different different strategy as well. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: that is going to do it. Episode 314 of the Better on Draft podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Morgan, over at Flight Co. Go find them in Denver, both their sites, including the brand new Tower site. And no matter what you think of your beer, we think it's
3: Better on Draft. Have a good night.
1: Thanks, Peace.